want to begin this morning by asking you to imagine what it would have been like to grow up in an Israelite home centuries and centuries ago, millennia ago, even thousands and thousands of years ago. What would it have been like to be a a little Jewish girl or a little Jewish boy? What would have been your earliest memories? Well, this is a huge undertaking, but I'm going to go ahead and stop you and say, I know what at least one of your earliest memories would have been. If you were growing up in a faithful, believing Jewish home, one of your very earliest memories when it comes to what you learned would be this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I know you would have learned that. I know you would have known that because it was the very essence of what it meant to be a Jew. The very essence of what it meant to be a believer. What it meant to be an Israelite. It's referred to as the Shema or the Shema, however you'd like to pronounce it in Hebrew. It's the alone statement. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He's a faithful Lord to us, is one. It's a theological statement. There are many gods. There are many gods among the nations. There are countless gods. And there are gods for this and gods for that. But our Lord is one. It's a profound theological statement. It's a statement of monotheism. And it's monotheism that is personal. And it's what you would have known. It's the first thing that every, every child needs to learn because it's the most basic and most important thing. And why would you learn that? Because theology mattered. Theology, the study of God and His ways and and what He's like and how He interacts with His creation. Theology mattered and so you would learn that first and foremost. It would also affect your behavior because the next statement, I quoted Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. If there's only one God and He's our God, there's only one natural response and that's to give Him all of your devotion because there's only one. That's what you would have learned. And then if you think in terms of then when Christ came, when, when Messiah came a couple of thousand years ago, if you were growing up in a faithful believing home, one of your earliest memories is going to be the same thing. Because the same thing is true. There's still only one God. There always only ever will be one God and, and He's made Himself known. And we know this for sure is the case because Jesus Himself when asked what's the greatest commandment, Quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. To love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because what was reality is still reality, and so it's what you learn and what you know. For about the last 500 years or so, up until fairly recently, if you grew up in a believing home, one of the earliest things you learn is the question and answer from the catechism that says, what is the chief end of man? What's the ultimate aim of humanity? What is the chief end of man? And if you grew up in a believing home, you would know the answer from the youngest days. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Why would you learn this? You would learn this because theology mattered. Because God is God. And we're His creation. We're not peers. And so if there is a God and there's only one God, then 
we would want to affirm that. We would affirm that theology, study of God, knowing God, and how He works. Tragically, I keep saying theology mattered. Theology mattered to believers. And sadly today, it doesn't matter so much. Theology is irrelevant. It has nothing to do with my life. It's for the academy. It's for theologians. It's irrelevant. It's just divisive. If those things are true, we're the first ones to have figured it out. Because throughout history, believers first and foremost, have at least made verbal commitments and they've taught their children the same thing. Theology matters most. There's only one God. And it applies to your life. Therefore, give Him all of your devotion. And so the tragedy is, we're not the first ones to be smart. The tragedy is, we want, tell me about myself and my world and it's all about me and self-gratification and self-centeredness and how, pastor, tell me how I can, how I can be self-satisfied. Pastor, help, tell me how I can, I can read the Bible and find out it's all about me. When in fact, the believers before us and hopefully lots of you would say, the, the, the Bible is, is, is God's revelation about himself. And, and, and it's a grand drama, yes, it's a great story, it's a grand drama, and it's a grand drama of redemption, but it's God's story about His greatness, and isn't it awesome that it includes us? But it's all about Him, including us, yes, and it's wonderful, but it's ultimately about theology and how that relates to us. Well, as you can tell, I get pretty excited about this. Um, it's because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian. It's because I have a burden for, for, for people maybe to, to know what they're missing. To think truly and, and, and deeply and, and biblically about who God is. And to respond. Nothing could be more practical. I think about Paul's prayer in, in Colossians chapter 1 when one of the things he prays for, he prays for other things. He prays for those believers in that town, in that city of Colossae. He prays, among other things, that they would be increasing in their knowledge of God. That's how he's praying for their spiritual growth. They would be increasing in their knowledge of God. Well, here's what we're doing. If you're just joining us, we're, we're doing a mini-series. It's going to end today. Then we're going to get back to our study of the life and ministry of Jesus uh, in the Gospel according to Luke. We'll pick that up next week as the Lord wills. But today we're going to conclude a, a, a mini-series we've been doing called Why Theology Matters. Why Theology Matters. And so we had a top ten list of why theology matters. It's, it matters so much I had to add an extra. So we have 11 reasons why theology matters. And uh, I'm not going to review the, the reasons this morning just because um, I've been reviewing every time. And this is part four. So I'm not going to review all of it's online, all of it's on audio. Um, we've looked at some very important reasons. We're going to just go to number 10 this morning. We're going to go to number 10. And we'll do 10 and 11 this morning. Why does theology matter? And as I mentioned last week, when we get back to our study of Luke and the gospel according to Luke... It's going to matter then too, okay? This is a series that will never end, <laughs> okay? <laughs> It'll never end um, because it's going to matter then because we're talking about the, the ministry and work of Jesus for us. But first and foremost, it's about Him. 
but it includes us. So I'm burdened, I'm excited, I'm motivated. I've already been praying and my prayer is that this will help you, yes. It will give God glory, yes. And it will also help equip you to be able to help other people. They can, they can not be in bondage of self-centeredness. What, 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 a, what a faux reality that is. It's so interesting that the Bible warns about people will be lovers of self. <laughs> That's a bad thing. Because we inappropriately build the universe around us and now we're not in touch with reality. We're in touch with an illusion. The greatest thing ever is to be in touch with reality that God is God and we would want to respond in a fitting way. So, number 10, 10th reason why theology matters. Ideas have consequences and heaven and hell are real. Ideas have consequences and heaven and hell are real. Galatians chapter 1 is where I'd like to draw your attention. Uh, If you turn to Galatians. And I'll be real honest with you. I'm not going to belabor the heaven and hell are real thing um, at this point in time. Um, The Bible talks about heaven. The Bible talks about hell. The Bible talks about some people are going to heaven. Some people are going to hell. We can go to the book of Revelation in chapter 20 and talk about that. The lake of fire, ultimate hell. We could look at the ministry of Jesus where he seemed to talk more about hell than he did about heaven. Though obviously he cared a lot about heaven. Um, But in Galatians we're going to see that if you don't see Jesus for who he is and what he did which is a theological issue, then you're not going to heaven. You've got to see Jesus for who He is. And you've got to trust in Him. And if that's real and true, then that's not mean. We're just trying to get in touch with reality. The debate has been raging for a long time and it will not end until Jesus comes back. Does God accept those who trust in Jesus and only in Jesus? Because Jesus paid it all, as the song says. Does He accept us solely and entirely based upon the merits of His Son? Or is it based upon what we do? Or is it a combination? 90, 10, 50, 50, 99, 1. The debate won't end because it's a gospel issue and it's the most important issue. And so it's the crux of the issue. And in Galatians, the Apostle Paul has to deal with this issue. There's a, there's a divide amongst conservatives. This isn't a liberal conservative thing. These are people who are serious about God. Is it only trusting in Christ because He did it all? Or is it trusting in Christ plus what we do? These are people who would be similar or exactly the same on most moral issues. But theology matters so much, he's going to say, it's the difference between heaven and hell. I'm starting on a controversial one today. I should have like talked about something nicer, but the gospel is so important that he has to deal with this issue. The gospel is so important that in Galatians, he says he, he confronted the apostle Peter to his face. 
because he was allowing others to compromise on the issue. It was that important. Galatians chapter 1. Let's dive right into controversy. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Hold on to your hats. Fasten your seatbelts. Tray tables up. Seats forward. Yikes. Turbulence coming. Verse 8. But even if we, Paul's writing it as, a, as an apostle earlier in the letter, we would know, even if we, whether it's Paul or Peter or John, even if we or an angel from heaven, and isn't it interesting, he doesn't say demon, even if an angel from heaven, not a so-called angel, even if a real angel could come from heaven, a real experience, should preach or proclaim to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. There's that old English word, some of your translations might say anathema. And in church history we hear about anathemas. To be accursed, to be, to be condemned without opportunity for reversal. I mean, it, it doesn't get any stronger to be condemned, period. Closed, shut, case, over, done, damned. Now, right there, we have to at least see the stakes are high. We don't, he didn't define what he meant by the gospel here. But please at least know the stakes are super high. If anybody preaches a different gospel and they say, this is the gospel, here's the good news. But it's not the same one that the apostle Paul preached. He says, that person is damned. You say, wait a second, that doesn't, what? See, theology matters. It matters a lot. And just in case we don't catch the sobriety of it all, verse 9. As we have said before, yeah, like in the last verse, um, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be anathema in Greek. Let him be accursed. Let him be condemned. So whatever that gospel is, we better say, I need to know. I, I tell my friends who have a disagreement with me over this issue, who are my earnest friends, I say, you really need to look into this. Don't take my word for it. Don't take somebody else's word for it. I mean, th this is a huge issue. Both sides are saying gospel. But one is the gospel and one isn't the gospel. I'll, I'll say it to you all as earnestly as I can, you better know what the gospel is. You say, well, God wouldn't really hold me. His apostle, the apostle Paul said, it's that big of a deal. Theology matters so much. So what was the issue? It wasn't liberal conservative theology. It's, is it all of Christ? He perfectly, completely, and entirely satisfied God's just requirements for our rebellion. He perfectly fulfilled the law. He raised, was raised again from the dead and there's nothing that we do other than we do trust in Him. We rely upon Him to represent us. Or is it, yes, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is good. Jesus came. I'm not denying the historicity of the whole thing. I'm not denying the need to trust in Him. I do trust in Him. And I also need to do my part and then God will accept me. When you read through Galatians, I'm not going to do it right now. 
That's what the issue is. Maybe you want to just take a sampling and look at chapter 2. In chapter 2, um, just to get, this is just the one little sample of, of where it goes. How about chapter 2, verse 15? And really, if, if, as you're turning there, Romans and Galatians are complementary. Romans teaches this reality that God justifies. He declares perfect as law keepers the ungodly, Romans chapter 4. Interesting. Um, and Galatians defends it. Chapter 2, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. You know, like those bad people because we have the laws, the idea. Um, he's not denying that they, that they have sin. Um, verse 16. Yet we know. Here we go. Yet we know. A person is not justified. That means declared a law keeper. Not justified by works of the law. But through faith in Jesus Christ. He's not saying the law is bad. The law is good. We, we, actually, we, we actually need to keep the law. We need justified. But we're not justified by works of the law. But through faith or dependence or reliance or trust. That's what that word means. In Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. Belief is the same word for faith. We've trusted. We've depended. We're relying on in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. Declared a law keeper even though we're not by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law no one will be justified. Remember if you boil the law down Jesus himself says it's to love God. And love your neighbor. And he's saying, nobody is going to be justified by doing that. Why? Because we're sinners, whether we're Gentiles or we're Jews. So we're justified. We're accepted in God's court of law, if you will. By faith in Jesus. And if you're not thinking this is a big issue, talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, read a little history, It comes down to, did Jesus do it or not? If salvation is gained by a partnership between you and God, you, you do your best and he did his best, and that's a different Jesus. Because the Jesus of the Bible came and fulfilled the law as he said he would in Matthew chapter 5. And so it's a huge issue. So I have to say, do you believe... That you're saved, let's use that word, a good biblical word. That you're accepted by God based solely and entirely and completely based upon what Jesus has done. That's what Paul is promoting and defending in Galatians. Or do you think that, that Jesus did a certain part and, and as long as you show acts of charity, like, like, like loving other people, then God will accept you. And you say, this is just semantics, it's just nitpicking, and why all the controversy? The controversy is because it comes down to, did Jesus do it or not? And so we're not just talking about words, we're talking, in, in a sense, about different Jesuses. To say it in a not sophisticated way. Theology matters. Let me put it in theology speak. Do you believe in salvation by faith? Both groups here did. But one of them believed in salvation by faith alone. 
because it's by faith alone in Christ alone. Hmm. It's pretty important. Pretty important. And again, I, I think maybe a tendency is to think, you know what, this is just a little bit too nitpicky. And, and I kind of sympathize with that, except I've read the Bible enough to know I can't sympathize with that. So I, I, I'm, I'm trying to approach you as a, as a fellow 21st century American with my American baggage, good and bad. But, but, I'm, but I'm saying, let me take you by the hand and, and, and have you read the Bible a little bit more and, and you find out that this is really an important issue. Did Jesus do it all or didn't he? And it gets into issues of whether or not we're capable of pleasing God as sinners. It gets into all kinds of issues. I want to stop there on the official side of it and maybe just talk a little bit about how we dabble in this. So I think most of you would say, I, I, I believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or I need to know more, I get it, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. I think most of us are on, on, on board with that. Probably not everybody, but most. But now let's just talk about this practically and how the drift sometimes happens because theology doesn't matter to us. As long as you say gospel, as long as you say Christian, as long as you say Jesus, we both believe in the resurrection. And by the way, in Galatians, those weren't the issues. But let's be really careful about how we even think of the gospel, if theology matters. If this is really true, is the gospel follow Jesus? You think Jesus loved God? This means yes. You think Jesus loved his neighbor? Yeah. Do you think we should follow Jesus? Yeah, absolutely we should follow Jesus. Is the gospel follow Jesus? Well, Jesus kept the law. So now I'm going to say the, go- the, the gospel is the law? See, we, we, just, we just crashed the car into the ditch. There's a huge difference. The gospel is the good news about what Jesus did. And we should, we should trust in Him. We should have faith in Him. We should depend upon Him. And, and that's the right response to the gospel. And then we have this desire to follow Jesus, which is the good and right desire, because of what He has done for us in response, out of gratitude. And we want to be good followers of Jesus because we're Christians. But if you... you you start putting follow Jesus alongside or in front of, then, then now we're under the damnation of Galatians. So you see, we can take a good thing and put it in the wrong place and we have a different religion. Theology matters. Ideas have consequences and heaven and hell are real. And so let's make sure we understand the gospel is the good news about what Christ has done. Read Romans, read Galatians, read 1 Corinthians 15. It's all about what He has accomplished, the good news about Christ. And, and our response is we're called to trust in Him, believe, have faith. And then we're Christians, and then Christians are, are now wanting to follow Jesus. But we're not following Jesus so that God will accept us. We're following Jesus because God has accepted us in Christ. And this isn't just about semantics. And if it is about semantics, the semantics are important. Galatians 1, 8 and 9. It's huge. 
Now, I really want you to put your thinking cap and your discernment cap on here for a minute. A few, couple, maybe two months ago, I got a solicitation. Nothing new there. Um, it, was, it was high dollar. It looked nice. It was shiny. Um, <laughs> for a church-wide curriculum. And I wasn't familiar with the first curriculum, but apparently there was this, this church curriculum that was so well accepted and so well embraced that there was going to be like part two. And uh, I mean, I, I was happy to know that it originally was $281.91, but they were going to give us a savings according to the literature of $192. And so the introductory rate was $99. How could I say no? <sighs> Okay, coming from an evangelical publisher, they publish some, some great books, some not so great books, but um, this is, you know, one of us. I would love to have them publish a book for me. They've got great marketing power. I guarantee you this program will be successful just because of who they are. I have to make a confession too. I didn't, I didn't buy it. <laughs> that wasn't my kid. I didn't open it and look inside. So maybe just like you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, you shouldn't judge a curriculum by its cover. So I'm just going to confess to you I haven't read it. It may be awesome. I'll never know. Um, but here's the title. I want you to tell me what you think of it. The title is Believe. I like it so far. Last time I checked, that word's in the Bible a lot. In fact, it's super important. Believe means trust, depend. I believe salvation is by faith alone. I mean, it's just crucial. So I'm in so far. Subtitle. Living. Living the story of the Bible. Living, you living, me living. To become like Jesus. Living the story of the Bible to become like Jesus. Belief. In the Bible is about trusting in the work of Jesus not me living the story to become like Jesus and you say you are being really nitpicky I'm a Christian pastor and I've read Galatians a couple times now here's another question don't don't check out should we try to uh, become like Jesus absolutely we should I'll preach that till the cows come home. I mean, we want to be Christ-like. We want to follow Jesus. But that's not what believing is. Believing is trusting in the finished work of Jesus. That's what believing is. Based on the title alone, rank legalism and another gospel under the condemnation of Galatians. Would you have caught it? Again, I wouldn't get worked up about this if I had never read the book of Galatians or Romans or 1 Corinthians. <laughs> Two right things put in the wrong order leads to a different religion. Christianity is the religion of finished work of Christ. He came and He fulfilled the law. He did everything right on our behalf like we were reading in 1 Corinthians 15. He's the last Adam. 
He did everything right. He goes to the cross, is treated as if he did everything wrong so that he would perfectly atone for our sins. If you want to use the fancy theological word, because this is why theology matters, he propitiated the just wrath of God. He said, it is, what did he say? It is finished. And then he was raised from the dead and the constant and consistent call is trust in him. And when it's trust in Him and even if it's a good thing, a super good thing like God's law or like following Jesus, if you say it's and that, it's not Christianity. It's a different religion. And so I'm, I'm pleading with you as, as a Christian to Christians, a pastor to Christians, saying, let's have this matter. Because at the end of the day, is, is it about, it's about the glory of Christ too. Does He get all of the glory? Or do we glory swap? I haven't said it for a long time, so I'll say it now. Are you going to get to heaven and say, we did it? If you can do that, it's not the right gospel. It's before the Lamb who is worthy to, to receive glory and honor and dominion. And read the book of Revelation. That's what it is. It's all of Him. And by the way, think about the practicality of this. Oh man, I screwed up again. I me- oh, I shouldn't have even said that in a sermon. I messed up again. I sinned again. I keep struggling. Oh no, I don't measure up, and I just fell back into that, that same temptation. Apoplexy, you know, spiritually. Let me tell you the gospel, because theology matters. Christ's work is finished. You should trust in Him and Him alone. I like Philippians. It says, Christians are people who put no confidence in the flesh. It's about Him. Theology matters in a practical sense too. Let's move on to number 11 and then we'll be done. By the way, legalism... I check my notes once in a while and it causes me to do amazing things. By the way, legalism, I mean, I, I, I can think of one person who accused me of being a legalist and, and I'm not saying I, I don't have a legalist living inside of me. Um, but basically because I took the Bible seriously. I mean, so this, somebody could even, the same person would probably label what I've been saying as legalism. That's fine, I get it. That's how our culture might use legalism. Um, But in a biblical sense, in a Christian sense, in a theological sense, legalism is when you confuse the law and the gospel. Legalism is when you you add to. That's legalism. So, if anything, I'm doing anything but legalism. I'm saying when you say it's faith in Jesus and faith means following, that's legalism. In a true sense, we don't want to be about legalism. We want to be about Christ who kept the law for us. And we want to be serious about it. Paul confronts Peter for his legalism. And you might say, I think Paul's a legalist because he's so serious. Come up with a different word for it. Um, that's not legalism. He's actually, that's a, the, Galatians is anti-legalism. Okay, number 11. Thank you for indulging me there. Um, number 11. End on this. Theology matters because it is an end in and of itself. In one sense. It is an end in and of itself, in one sense. 
Maybe if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 11. And as you turn there, I'm going to quote Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy. And Matthew 22. This is a little bit of review, but not entirely. Matthew 22, 36, as you turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love your, the Lord your God with your heart and with your soul and with all your mind. All your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the ultimate. You want me to summarize the whole law for you, everything that God expects. First and foremost, you love him with all of your being, including your mind. I just wanted to use, use that to prime the pump. When Jesus is asked for the ultimate, know who God is, because that's the verse before that in Deuteronomy, and be entirely and completely devoted to him. Well, in a sense, that's an end in and of itself because that's like saying it's worship. Now, in a minute, I'm going to say it's not an end in and of itself. But for now, for now, let's realize that the application is to respond with worship. And in one sense, that means you do nothing. Now, in another sense, you're going to worship with your devotion. You're going to do a bunch of things. We'll talk about that. But first and foremost, I want your application to be, as we quoted from the psalm last week, cease striving and know that I am God. Trust me. The call to action is a call to inaction there. Now, it's a call to action because it's trust. But you can, I just want to overstate it so you get the idea. Because we're like, tell me, what do I do? Now, what seven steps do I need to follow this week because theology matters? And in one sense, I want to say, do nothing. Stop fretting like the psalmist said from last time and know that he's God. Love him with your mind. Work on that for a while. That's a call to action, but you get the idea why I'm saying it's a call to do nothing. It's rest. That's a call to action, but in a sense, it's not. You know what I'm saying? And now we get to 1 Corinthians 11, a passage you know so well. You've been a Christian very long at all because it's read at every communion service ever. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke in and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Keep doing this. There's a call to action. So that you can Remember Jesus, which in a sense is a call to do nothing. But it's a call to do everything. He's got to keep, you, and he goes on to say, you do this until I come again. You're going to keep doing this because your tendency is to be a legalist. Your tendency is to say, I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I keep failing, and oh. What you need to do is keep coming to church and celebrating the Lord's Supper and remembering Christ. And we learn what Christ did. What do we need to remember? It is finished. Raised from the dead, interceding on our behalf. He's our advocate. He's our attorney arguing our case. I bought them with my blood. Satan's the accuser of the brethren saying, Pat Abendroth is a sinner. And Jesus can say, yeah, he is. God justifies the ungodly. 
by me, Jesus would say. So in one sense, I want your application to always be the same. Remember Jesus. Paul had to tell Timothy this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. First and foremost. In that sense, it's an end in and of itself. And if you're not hearing that a lot, I'm probably struggling with my inner legalist as a preacher. And you're always wanting more. Just, you got to give me principles. You got to give me steps. You got to give me ways. You got to give me curriculums. You got to give me programs. You're struggling with your inner legalist. We're resting in Christ and what He's done. See how practical this is? Even reading 1 Corinthians 15 earlier today, two atoms. That's theology. We're all represented by the first atom. Believers are represented by the last atom. Because we're represented by the first atom, we're going to have suffering and death. If you're represented by the last atom, Christ, by trusting in Him and Him alone, you're guaranteed resurrection from the dead. That's theology. That's so hardcore theology. You know what you need in your suffering? is not five more principles that you can't keep. What you need to know is a great theology lesson about the tale of two atoms. And make sure you're resting in the last Adam so that you can know that the suffering will end as sure as he has historically been raised and bodily been raised from the dead. That's, that's theology. That's practical. And then it's interesting at the end of 1 Corinthians, then he, he says, all right, now, so, so be motivated. <laughs> be steadfast in the work of the Lord. And so in that sense, it's not an end in and of itself. You know what I meant. I didn't even make my words come out right, but you know what I meant. In that sense, it is not an end in and of itself. <laughs> I'm a professional speaker. No one can understand me, but I get paid to talk. Um, anyway, just a little self-condescension. <laughs> in that sense, it's not, because now you're all motivated. Oh, what's the use, man? I'm suffering. The world is bad and un- injustice, and I just give up. I'm resting in Jesus anyway. No! <laughs> always abounding, motivated in the work of the Lord because amidst the suffering, we're, we're on, the, on the side of the one who's been raised from the dead. And so in that sense, we are motivated. We're tremendously motivated to, to want to follow Christ and to love our neighbor, to love our neighbor so much that we tell him about Jesus and, and to love God. Because by the way, now we can love God. Because now we have the Spirit of God in us. And while we don't love Him perfectly and we're not relying on, on ourselves for our, our justification, we're relying on Christ, we are new creatures now. And now we are actually doing right things that honor God. And so in that sense, it's not an end in and of itself. That's why we have to remember that theology is really important. We'll end on this. But in another sense, it's not an end in and of itself. We do need to remember that. And that's going to be the conclusion. It could be number 12, but I didn't want to lie two weeks in a row. And so I'm going to sneak it into the conclusion. (sighs) Number 12, it's not an end in and of itself in another sense. As I've already explained. James chapter 2 is important. James 2.19 is important when it comes to this. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one? You believe in the Shema? You believe Deuteronomy 6? You believe you're a monotheist? You believe in Yahweh, the one true creator God? You believe that God is one? 
You do well. He commends him for that. And then he says, even the demons believe and shudder. Good orthodox theology is what demons have. And so in that sense, it's not an end in and of itself. You don't want dead demon faith. And in the argument in the book of James is if you have genuine faith in the genuine Christ, it will genuinely show up in your life. That's why he says faith without works is dead. He's not undermining the faith alone reality of Galatians or Romans, but he is saying there's evidence in your life that shows you're a Christian. Or if there's not evidence in your life that shows you're a Christian, maybe you have orthodox theology like demons do. And you need to go back to square one and see Jesus for who he really is and trust in him. In that sense, it's not an end in and of itself. So, remember Christ, rest in Christ, and as you do that, if you're a Christian and you have the Spirit of God in you, and as you meditate on these great realities, you're going to want to be motivated to serve Christ, to honor Christ, to love your neighbor, to love God, all of that as the fruit of saving faith. Just don't confuse the two. Don't confuse the two. Or we have a different religion religion as I said next week we'll talk about why theology matters and we will the next week too there's more to be said I want to talk about Isaiah and him seeing the holiness of God and being motivated as a result and there's more to be said but we need to be done for now we have the rest of our lives to talk about this father thank you for our time this morning thank you that you've loved us when we were unlovely and now, as Christians, we, we, we're, we want to love other people, not just people who we think are deserving, but people who, who, like us, seem so unlovable. Even there, once again, theology matters to us. Um, Lord, help us to not have it be bo- bo- uh, either or, but both and. That we truly and genuinely would want to know who you are as you've revealed yourself that we would want to, want to experience what Jesus said when he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Help us to be men and women who are like that. And then motivate us uh, greatly. Even as, as Paul says in Titus, to be zealous for good deeds as the fruit of saving faith. We would love it if Omaha, Nebraska would be a different place because of what you've done for us in Christ. And an appropriate response. Not because we need or deserve attention, but because you're the God of all grace and glory who's shown us your love and uh, are worthy of our imitation as a response to your saving faith, your, your saving work. In Jesus' name, amen.